Hello, and welcome to Pint Glass Gaming. As always, I'm Gary. And I'm Daniel. So, Daniel, before we get into our game of the week, which I'm sure you are going to have a lot to say about, <laughs> let's talk about a couple of items of video game news. The first of which is the death of the reanimated G4 TV. <laughs> yeah, more like the more like the reanimated corpse getting the euthanasia it deserved. It was um, it was not good. I have to say, I uh, I watched it several times, and uh, yeah, just didn't have that same uh, didn't have that same magic, you know. Well, I think in the first iteration of G four that they kind of caught lightning in a bottle. A lot of the content was really good. Most of the hosts were likable. I'll stop there. And it's hard to invest in a platform that has so much competition because there's a lot of other content to consume when it comes to video games these days. There's so many channels, thousands of things, items competing with them. I just don't understand what the business model was. I don't think it ever should have been brought back. No, absolutely not. At the time, G4 slash Tech TV, you know, after their merger... They, yeah, they had lightning in a bottle because they had the personalities and quality content from tech TV and the large, um, the large cable company muscle behind it in G4. So it was a good combination. A lot of the people from tech TV stayed on during the G4 acquisition and uh, shows like the screensavers, which became attack of the show. And I think most famously X play. Probably one of the best video game review shows in the uh, in, in the really the pre YouTube era. Definitely, those were those were what held it up, along with the along with things like um, the Icons series or the uh, the Game Makers series, all about famous people in the industry or famous game series. Oh, I mean that was where Ninja Warrior, where most of us got our um, got our first taste of that show. For those of you who don't know the a competition known as uh, Sasuke in Japan Poor, was kind of you know, translated over here. Uh, most Extreme as... Elimination Challenge. Yes, Most Extreme Elimination Challenge. Funny enough, uh, the original the original show that Most Extreme Elimination Challenge is based on, Takeshi's Castle, actually got a reboot on Australian TV a while back. I don't know if it's still going, but I did watch a bit of that, and that was actually pretty good. So always good for a laugh. I highly recommend this show. Absolutely. But yeah, G4, they were never going to get the same magic that they did. Even getting Austin Creed of Up, Up, Down, Down in there did not help. And he was probably the most charismatic person on that, you know, on that channel at that point. So not, not even the power of Up, Up, Down, Down could, could, could do, could, could keep this alive. They put it down when they needed to. That's right. It got the old yeller treatment. So before we get into a really meaty piece of news that I'm sure Daniel and I are going to have a lot to talk about, I quickly want to address problems with Overwatch 2. <laughs> problems would be an understatement. So the first thing is, and I mainly play as a support character. I've always enjoyed whether we're playing MMORPGs or Overwatch or any team-based game. I've always been a big fan of being support characters. So I'm a healer. I'm a medic. Always my favorite thing to do. Now, right now, if you were to log on to Overwatch 2, if you want to play a tank or you want to play DPS, you're going to have a long queue to deal with because of the lack of people like me. A lot of people have very, very strong feelings about Overwatch. I think the game's enjoyable. Say what you want about the current state of Activision Blizzard. But Overwatch 2, it's the same game, free-to-play or not. Just with one less person on each team. And I don't understand how subtracting a player makes your game better or is considered an upgrade. I've heard that's actually one of the few, few changes that a lot of people have actually liked. Like there, I guess there does get to a point, uh, depending on the types of characters, the map, the objectives and all those things where the right number of players per team really makes a big difference. Because if there's too many, then my just... argument here is that 
there's a reason why you have a lack of people playing support because you removed a tank character that would pull damage and aggro off of your support characters. So the support characters, in my opinion, right now in the current meta, are being left swinging in the wind, and that's because there's no one to really help them out, or, or less people. Like, if you had a tank following your support in previous iterations of Overwatch, that was a pretty good strategy. Right now, it's hard to be support. There's nothing to keep people off you. That's a good point, and I think part of the big problem, at least in my opinion, is the lack of game modes. I, for the longest time, before Overwatch was ever even an idea, before it was ever that horribly failed MMO idea that Blizzard was trying to do, I was always a massive fan of Team Fortress 2. And uh, we'll get more into TF2 later, but if you've ever played TF2 and Overwatch, there's a lot of similarity there. And in TF2... Yes, you had the basic territory control or capture the flag modes, or and that's where uh, that's actually where the whole payload um, style of uh, play in terms of gameplay came from. But that wasn't the only ways you could play. There were so many different ways to play the game. You could host your own servers. You could have games as low as like six on six or five on five or massive games where there were like 18 people plus on each team. If you got bored of a certain low, you know, is it certain low player team, low team sort of uh, competition, you could go into one of these massive all out brawls and just go nuts. There was always so much more variety in terms of way, ways to play in Team Fortress 2 that I always found incredibly lacking in Overwatch. Game modes is an issue. I just think that, and also that the way that the meta works, you see the same characters over and over. It's not this like grand experiment where you have all these different types of teams put together. The characters that work, that's the ones people are using. So I think that the Team Fortress 2 character archetypes are a better system than having like 25 unique characters and people are only using seven or eight of them. Yeah, that was that was always the other advantage that TF2 had. It was so much tighter, so much more, so much tighter curation in terms of abilities. Like as time went by, each class, you know, e each class type got, you know, some unique weapons to change things up, but for the most part, each each of them stuck to their very specific role. The scout was a was was a quick, you know, was a quick runner, you know, quick runner who could do a lot of damage and run back. The spy was always the sneaky one to get around the team. The heavy was always the tank with the minigun. You know, there may have been different types of miniguns, but it was always heavy with minigun. You know, the medic was always the healer who could always, you know, put out that massive buff or invincibility field from time to time. You know, the soldier was always the rocket launcher guy. And, you know, with the exception of, you know, certain, you know, weapon changes from time to time, they always had that specific role. Whereas in Overwatch, I, I, it came to a point where I wasn't sure what the hell I was doing. Like when we, when we played it together, I always I always like playing as Lucio because, oh, I can damage people, but I can also make everyone move fast and I can also heal. And I can also boot people off the map. Well, why the Lucio hell would I want to play anything else? <laughs> and you were also, I mean, you're the FPS guy. You were great with Soldier as well. Well, yeah. I'm not very skilled, but I was good. I'm, I'm, I've always been a good Reinhardt. I've always been, uh, well, I played Mercy a lot. And that's about it. So uh, if you're interested in support characters, hop on. It's free to play. And you'll definitely get in games. I'll tell you that right now. Almost zero weight. To be fair, that was always the kind of thing in every multiplayer game we ever played. During the time when we played World of Warcraft, if, if, if I wanted to play DPS at one point, it we'd, we'd wait forever to get into in, into a game or into a dungeon. Well, but, until I started, because I started healing later in our WoW careers. Well, yeah, Having two DPS, you're gonna, it was still better. At least it helped out. But when the two of us ran tank... When you ran tank and I ran healing, we got in Oh, quick. yeah. Yeah, we would get them. 
like that. And, you know, it, it, it also became to the point where I got sick and fucking tired of being the tank for a bunch of idiot DPS who didn't know how to not stand in the fire. <sighs> yep. And then complaining that I'm not healing them fast enough. It's literally designed to melt you. <laughs> yeah. Morons. We both have to work through our anger when we talk about the next topic. Oh, no. Recently, one of... Would you say it is your favorite game, Daniel? Uh, or just one of? You mean the one we're going we're gonna to talk about today? We're talking about two. So one of them is one of my favorite games. One of them is either your favorite or one of your favorites. Oh, I would say it's one of my favorites. Okay. Daniel has, uh, as he's volunteered in our Resident Evil episode... Daniel is a big fan of Resident Evil 4. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know where this is going now. I am a gigantic fan of Silent Hill 2. Oh, here we go. And of late, remakes have been announced for both of these games. And the announcement for both of them has been... Pretty overwhelmingly positive, I think we can both agree. The, um, the I don't general know. reception. I don't know who you've been l watching or you know or listening to in terms of that, because people have been hating on the Silent Hill Two uh, remake preview. As far as I've seen, I've seen a lot of people who like it, but Resident Evil Four is the one that people are really, really celebrating. But I think Daniel and I are on equal footing here when we say that. I'm going to tell you right now, Silent Hill 2 is a game that absolutely, positively does not need a remake. Yes. There is no reason to do this. Absolutely fucking not. Like, they already tried it one time with that remaster, and that remaster was hot fucking garbage. Like, the, the well, fuck didn't work. Konami, the were all messed up. Konami, it's like they don't like money. I don't know who's running it. But that ship's going right into the ground, and if it wasn't for their pachinko parlors, they they had they would have gone bankrupt by now. Yeah, no, that's the thing. Konami likes money, but they want to make money by making pachinko and patch a slot machines, not by actually making quality games, because they think they can make more money bilking salarymen out of their money by making them shoot metal balls through these weird fucking pachinko thingies. I think in terms of survival horror games. Silent Hill 2 is the best 100% atmospheric in terms of philosophical messaging and symbolism. I can't think of a game that even can touch it. Oh, yeah. When, great, when, when you great, deconstruct great story. that game. Yeah. And, you know, the twist ending, I mean, it's been over two decades at this point. Everyone knows the twist ending. So what are you playing this for? There's no surprises left, which makes me nervous that they're going to change something. It's an unjustifiable remake, 100%. There's nothing you can add to it. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Like, a fantastic story that does not need to be retold, you know, a good enough uh, interface that actually works in the game's advantage, because as, as many reviewers have pointed out before, in Silent Hill, the point is that you're this, you know, that you're this, you know, John Q. Random... Yep. who who is put in this horrific situation with very little in the way of survival ability. So the fact that the the interface is kind of clunky, the tank controls are kind of laggy and you know and, and the combat is very, you know, is kind of stilted works in its advantage because fighting things is not the point in Silent Hill, at least for the most part. You're a poor schmuck that has gotten into something way over their head. And that's the point. You're supposed to be off balance. <laughs> I I don't see how, how this could be better. Like, ugh. Add to the fact that the people who are making this remake are fucking Bloober Team, which, if I recall, the most they, the most they make are fucking walking simulators. And if there is one genre of game that I hate above MOBAs, is walking simulators. I hate MOBAs. Like, yeah. Anyone, I, I anyone will plays say, League of Legends is out of their fucking minds. <laughs> I will say that I did a review on our YouTube channel of The Medium. Check it out. 
see what I had to say about it, but I liked it. <laughs> no, not my not my thing at all. Let, 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 let me shoot things. <laughs> and another thing that is absolutely infuriating about the state of Silent Hill, there was this big announcement. Konami put all this money into it, all these Silent Hill projects that they're coming out with. And I don't give a single fuck about any of them. Now, PT, that was a collaboration, once again, with Hideo Kojima, Konami's former superstar. PT got everyone in the hobby. Anyone who played video games was hyped about PT. And instead of getting this awesome reboot that I think everyone was hoping for in this announcement, we get this. There's no reason for it. I, I just wanted them to reboot the series. Konami has their hands on three, at the very least, of the best video game series of all time, and they're doing jack shit with them. Silent Hill, Castlevania, and the Metal Gear series. <clears throat> Nothing. It's infuriating. Because Pachinko. They're a Japanese company. They don't give a fuck about making the quality games. They just want to bilk the salary men out of their money in gambling parlors. Sigh. Yeah. Now, Resident Evil 4. Yeah. I'll say I am less mad about the Resident Evil 4 remake than I am about Silent Hill 2. That's just me. Well, okay. So here's my perspective. As someone who has played through almost every version of RE4 several times over and could, could, pl could probably play the game blindfolded at this point, in my, in my complete opinion, it is a near-perfect game that still holds up to this day, still looks good to this day, and does not need a remake in any way. The interface is perfectly designed for the system itself. The, en you know, the enemies are perfectly designed around what you can do with the movement and interface. It is fun. It has a campy atmosphere to it. It, is, it, it, is, it was the perfect revival of the Resident Evil series, a series that was severely lagging and you know severely floundering after RE3 Nemesis and Code Veronica, which we did both enjoy. Like let's be honest, we both we both played through and enjoyed those, but I think we can agree that after that point there was there was the distinct feeling that RE was kind of spinning its wheels and needed a little boost. RE4 was that boost and it still holds up. And when I first heard they were doing a remake and I saw the initial trailer, I, 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 I was, I was about ready to shit myself with rage. I'm like, no, they're making it, they're, they're making it, they're, they're, they're leaning too far into the dark stuff. Like, please keep it campy. Keep it fun. Where's everyone hey. going? Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh my God. But then I did see the new gameplay trailer. I did see the new, you know, cutscene trailer and I to admit tentatively at least i my opinion might actually change now as i've seen from the trailers it looks like a lot of the camp is getting shoved out of the game sadly which really annoys me because i loved that part of it but watching the uh, watching the developers talk about the game and talk about how they wanted to remain faithful to the original and then looking at the gameplay trailer and seeing the there and seeing that in action, I have to admit, it's actually gotten me a little excited. Like it, the, the the gameplay trailer showed like the initial like little farmstead area right around the chapel in the very first level of the game, and it looks almost exactly the same except improved. Like you know, it looks a little, it looks better. Like everything, everything feels preserved, but just like polished. You know what I mean? And I do. Yeah. And, and while I think and while I I will be pretty upset if, you know, if the comedic and campy stuff does get, you know, removed or, or at least, you know, toned down from what I saw, if they have to have to make a remake to this game, it almost seems like this is the best I could hope for. I, what, what do you think about that? Well, I understand that they're trying they're not even trying. They're doing it. They're making a new can canon that includes all of the remakes i like that they're tightening up the lore because in the past it was kind of confusing as to what actually occurred and now we have a better idea uh i think that graphically it's phenomenal 
I think it'll be great not to have so many escort missions. And I love the campiness as well, but Resident Evil 4 was great, and it was the boost that the series needed, but then they screwed up with 5 and 6. <laughs> oh, yes, they did. Uh, and remember that time Resident Evil 6? Guess we're not going that way. <laughs> yeah. Le- Leon got hit by a bus. And, and as he's lying, down. lying down, like red, like red health bar, just blaring. And all you hear him say is, guess we're not going that way. Oh, Awful my game. God. That was so I'm ugh. there's a couple of things that they've done with the remakes that I'm not a big fan of the degrading knives, which unfortunately are making their way into this game. Oh, yeah. Don't, uh, that's that. That's one it's of the big things that don't rem- that. I can't stand that in every in any game, even if even if they design around it and mitigate it to hell and back like they did in, say, um, Breath of the Wild. I hate it when my weapons degrade like that just after a few swings like it's metal. It's not balsa wood. It's a fucking steel knife. It's how not does a steel go- knife fall apart? I, I don't get it. It's like what what were they what were they made in seventy Soviet Union? It's like I don't I don't fucking get it, man. We we are curious to know what our listeners think about these two remakes. I'll play Resident Evil Four. Silent Hill Two is probably going to be a hard pass for me to tell you the truth. Oh, absolutely. Our game of the week is another one of Daniel's absolute favorites. Ah. Oh. A classic in every way, a game changer, an icon, an institution in this day and age. And this is Half-Life. Let's get to the game overview and facts. Game overview and facts. Half-Life was released in 1998, a first-person shooter developed by the new Valve Corporation at the time headed by a bunch of ex-Microsoft employees, most famously Gabe Newell. It, it, was, dis, it, was, con, it was conceived as a more sci-fi slash horror sort of experience in, the term, in terms of first-person shooters. Because at the time, you know, the most famous ones were Doom, Quake, Duke Nukem, Blood, Rise of the Triad, even, well, even at that point, Goldeneye. There was not a lot in terms of actual cinematic experience. This was kind of the a, kind of an attempt to add that to the genre. Half-Life was released for several platforms in its history. Obviously, first the Windows PC, the PS2, and there is an unreleased but playable version of it for the Sega Dreamcast. The critical reception, well, it's positive. Winner of over 50 Game of the Year awards, and a Metacritic score of 96 out of 100 on the PC. Right, its popularity caused it to be branched out into several spin-offs and mods for the game, which we're going to discuss a little bit later. So, a little bit of our history with this game. Full transparency, Daniel bought this game for me two weeks ago. I'm not a PC gamer, and when I'm using the WASD keys to get around, I am a liability at best. Now, yeah, I... Uh- <laughs> yeah, Gary, to do, for, for, for context here, Gary is the kind of person to use a controller for PC first-person shooters. My fellow PC gamers out there, commence the cringe. <laughs> I just haven't developed the skills necessary to play it correctly with WASD. You so make me sad. I'm going to drag you down anyway. It's just a matter of degrees. If I'm using the keyboard, it's much, much worse. I'm not a first-person shooter player but I also downloaded and played through a bit of the Dreamcast version. It was never meant to be released, and because of errors in the build, it eventually just stops working altogether because the save file on the VMU just keeps growing and growing and growing until you can't move forward with the game anymore. I played the game through on my Steam Deck, but as Daniel urged me to, I used a Bluetooth keyboard and mouse to play it, in his words, as the good Lord intended. As a general rule, you know, I'm not a big FPS guy, though I do play Halo and classic first-person shooters like Heretic, Doom, and Quake 3 on the Dreamcast. I also, for the Xbox, played through a bunch of Counter-Strike. Now, Daniel's wanted me to play this game for years, 
but there are a few reasons why I have not. So PC gaming in general is harder for me. I think it's generally more expensive, even though Daniel keeps telling me he'll build me a PC. I could easily, easily build you a gaming PC for the price of a PS5. And where am I going to put it? In In your man cave with all the rest of your gaming stuff. I need that room. So I'm also really shitty at first-person shooters, as I've said for a number of times. And Daniel even told me, make sure you have quick save mapped easily. So I knew I was going to be in trouble to begin with. And we'll get yes. that, <laughs> that a little <laughs> bit later. Know, and full disclosure here, I, I, played, I first played this game back in 99, I believe. Something like that. Like, yeah, it was very, you know, it was very early when I, had, you know, like when I bought my first computer, my first computer that was literally like all mine. But even then, going back to this, the original version of Half Life, there was a li- there was a little bit of a learning curve. I was a bit rusty, and I I also had to have quick save and quick load mapped for easy access because yeah, there were some parts that <laughs> that did test my skills to this day. Another thing, getting controversial now. I don't like getting wrapped up in stories that I don't think will actually be finished. I compare this to A Song of Ice and Fire by George R.R. Martin, which will never be finished before he expires. I'm not convinced that we're going to get a Half-Life 3. Valve has stated that basically they're not going to work on it until there's some sort of technological innovation that would drive the narrative. Computer gaming in general was the innovation that they started in 1998 with half-life then technology grew and they could do more with half-life 2 and now what are we waiting for daniel i don't think i would call that controversial at all i totally understand that yeah it's it is the eternal lament of the half-life fan we will likely never see a half-life 3 i mean we never thought we we never thought we'd see a vr version in half-life alex but we did get that when it comes to valve you absolutely never know what they're going to do. But if you had to put safe money, I would say the safe money on the safe money would be we're not getting Half-Life 3 as much as it pains me to say that. I, I, I could feel my heart seizing up just saying that. So, you know, I'm being honest. Let's talk about the storyline. Storyline. Half-Life takes place at a research facility known as Black Mesa in the desert of New Mexico. You play as 27-year-old theoretical physicist and recent MIT graduate Gordon Freeman. He's one of the newer guys here, so he does a lot of the grunt work at this facility. And this day requires putting a strange crystal-like sample from a world known as Zen into a massive machine known as an anti-mass spectrometer. Now, for the first half hour to hour of the game, there's no shooting. You're literally on a tram to the laboratory where you get in there, talk to the security guards. You get into your hazardous environment suit or HEV suit, which you'll keep throughout the whole game. You talk to the other laboratory workers and the other scientists, and you finally get into the chamber with the anti-mass spectrometer, and you push this cart with this crystal into the machine and everything goes to shit things start going haywire your vision goes blank and you wake up and the entire facility is in shambles an event known as a resonance cascade has happened because of errors possibly errors or possibly just because you shouldn't have shoved the crystal into the anti-mass spectrometer either way This cascade has opened a portal to this realm called Zen, and now aliens are running haywire and roughshod all over the facility. So it's up to you as Gordon Freeman in one of the few hazardous environment suits left to go through the hazardous areas in this laboratory, figure out what's going on, get out of there, and somehow try to stop what's going on here. A little while through, you find that soldiers have actually responded Uh, in terms of disaster response but then they start firing at you apparently these are black ops troops who have been deployed to basically shut everyone up and cover up what happened at this facility but you're gordon fucking freeman you have actually in your training with the hev suit you've had gun training 
So using your guns and your wits, you fight past these Marines, you fight past all these aliens, and finally, at the second facility known as the Lambda facility in this, you know, in Black Mesa, you reactivate the portal to Zen, get in there, and kill the the leader, supposed leader of these aliens known as the Nihilanth. Because of that, you are finally able to close the portal until you are finally confronted by someone known as the G-Man. He seems to be this, you know, elderly man in a suit holding a briefcase, and you see him several times throughout the gameplay, uh, most often behind a door or somewhere where you can't reach. He'll look at you, adjust his tie, and then walk off. But at this moment, he finally starts talking to you and tells you that everything is now under control, that you have helped him and his employers secure the portal to this place called Zen. And he is very impressed with what you have done and offers you a job. If you reject, you literally get ported into an arena with a ton of enemies and aliens and you die. So you basically have no choice but to accept this offer and you get put into a weird stasis. And the game ends right then and there. Let's talk about gameplay. Gameplay. So I want to address real quick the monorail or tram ride in the beginning of the game. Because I've played through this segment a bunch. And I could see it being really, really cool in 1998 to just look around at the fresh 3D graphics. But oh my god, it takes forever. <laughs> yeah it does like in this day and age yes it's kind of one of the things that i literally i literally have a game save set to right after that tram portion so if i ever want to go back to the game i could just skip it but back but you have to think about it back in the day 1998 what did what else did we have to compare this to duke nukem 3d quake and quake 2 shake it baby yeah <laughs> uh fucking goldeneye i mean goldeneye was great but I would never call GoldenEye you know, an achievement in terms of game cinematics. No. So this, at that time, this was groundbreaking. Just being in that tram, watching everything go by, and getting immersed in this environment. The monotony yeah. of the daily commute. Exactly. Like, it was, this was their goal. Like, they wanted to create something immersive. There are no cutscenes in this game. All the story is told through in-game scripted sequences. There are only a couple times in this game where you cannot move. Like at every point, like as the story is going, as as NPCs are talking to each other, as things are happening, you are still in control of your own character. It is right? really cool to think. Well, first off, in almost every regard, it amazes me that this came out in 1998. You look at the contemporary games and nothing comes close. As you're walking down hallways, you can overhear conversations, graphics, the physics of the game itself. I can't believe this was 1998. Nothing on home consoles at this point would have come even close. I definitely missed out there. Now, funny to me, I could find nothing to substantiate this, but voice acting. I'm pretty sure that some of the voices for the scientists, because they're obviously done by the same guy, I think that they share voice actors with the the Elder Scrolls Three Morrowind. It's certainly possible. I yeah, I have no way of knowing that for sure either. But I wouldn't if someone told me that in con you know like you know with confidence, I would not completely doubt it. So the white haired scientist that yeah, I mean it's the same model that you would walk, uh, uh, you know, you, you would see several times throughout the game. He goes, "Well, hello, Gordon." It's, I'm telling you, it's the same guard that you first met in Morrowind who's registering you for your class, your race, and things like that. Just remember the line, and the choice is yours. It, it sounds exactly the same to me. I think Do you it's know who ate type. all the donuts? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Same guy. I'm telling you, that guy uh, is in Morrowind. Now, the voice acting isn't Oscar-worthy, but there's some standout performances, I think, and it definitely gets the job done. For the time, it worked. Like, and considering, you know, once again, what else you had to deal with. Like, just looking it up right now, the other releases in terms of FPS games in 98, Turok 2, Seeds of Evil, Blood 2, The Chosen, Unreal, uh, Jurassic Park Trespasser. Like, some of these are, 
either fairly well known for being decent or good games, or in the case of Jurassic Park Trespasser, very interesting and innovative, but ultimately pretty fucking terrible. <laughs> and then you have at the very pinnacle of that year, Half-Life. Like even in that, because I loved Turok too. I know Unreal was also a fairly big achievement in terms of in terms of FPS games, but Half-Life stands head and shoulders above all of them. I would say. Uh, I do not disagree. Uh, in terms of graphics, I mean, like I said, I cannot believe this is 1998. I'm looking at like some of the contemporary games in terms of graphical prowess. Banjo Kazooie, the South Park first-person shooter, terrible. <laughs> yeah. Zelda Ocarina of Time, great-looking game, but comparatively not as good. Uh, Resident Evil 2, this is, blows them away in terms of graphical fidelity. I, yeah. I can't believe it. And what, what, a, what an achievement. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, the engine uh, of this game, known as the Gold Source engine, it is a fairly moderately modified version of the same engine used in Quake 1. Yeah, going from going from what Quake One looked like to this, it's almost witchcraft. Funny, th funny thing there on an interesting tangent, which I love talking about, the Gold Source engine, once again subjected to a ton of modifications, eventually became the Source engine, which is one of probably the most famous game engines of today, because that's basically what every Valve game is based on at this point. Um, so Half-Life 2, Team Fortress 2, even even modern, you know, even modern super popular things like Apex Legends. Those are all based on this. Those are all from the Source Engine or, you know, uh, built on that. And and so there are there, there are slight quirks and bugs like from Quake 1 that still kind of echo in the modern Source Engine today. If you've uh, if anyone out there has ever heard of the uh, the content creator for YouTube, Ross Scott, he created a fairly famous uh, YouTube series called Freeman's Mind, which is kind of a satirical take on, you know, on a Half-Life playthrough, playing Gordon Freeman as this, you know, psychotic, neurotic, uh, you know, crazy person. It's very funny. But a while back, uh, people wanted him to increase the uh, resolution of his videos from 480p to 720p, but he couldn't do that unless he got a solid state drive because the gold, the original gold source engine could not support motion blur. And when, uh, when the source engine came out and the original half-life game got ported to the source engine, it tried to implement motion blur, but it didn't really work. So Ross Scott actually had to do a ton of finagling to implement proper motion blur in his videos, but that came at the cost of every second of rendering he had to do would cost almost a gigabyte of storage space. So these are the kind of weird things that you will still see kind of echo throughout game history as, as game engines get modified and implemented upon. I'll bet you, if you play Apex Legends, there's probably some tiny bug in the code for that game somewhere that has its roots back in Quake 1, which I think is just so fascinating. You can definitely see the foundations for what everything that we know today was built upon in Quake 1, in Half-Life, in Doom for that matter. Totally revolutionary for their time. Let's talk real quick about difficulty here. I, as I have said, don't have a lot of experience with P native PC first-person shooters. And there are instances in this game where I feel like I'm going around in circles. And then, like, I have no idea, like, where the hell do I go? And the way forward can be rather obtuse in this game. Yes, it can be. Um, I, sh I probably should have told you at the very beginning, there is always, absolutely always, always a way forward you are never stuck in this game it just sometimes the way forward does require some out-of-the-box thinking which i thought was also huge because i i loved i loved having to be like oh you got to do this weird thing to get through and i'm like that's genius like there's a point at which um there's a loose wire in one of the uh in one of the kitchens that you have to get through 
but the kitchen's also flooded because one of the sinks busted. So that loose wire is, is, you know, plunged into the water. So if you try to just enter that room, you're going to shock yourself to death. So you have to like, you, you kind of have to find where the power outlet for that spot is and close it. But there's another spot. There's another point where uh, enemies will actually spawn in that area. You can turn that power back on and just shock them to death instead of shooting them, which can sometimes help because ammo is sometimes at a premium in this game. Took me a long time to navigate sections like that. So Daniel had told me, I ah, don't worry about it. You know, the game's like between four and 10 hours long. No, it wasn't really. <laughs> I I, 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 Daniel, I, I fucking walked around in circles like I was on a trap in a couple wow. of sections. I, I am not ashamed to admit I went on YouTube and like, oh, okay, I get it. I mean, my, I get my yeah. small console brain is not used to these sorts of interactions with my games. I guess. Yes, yeah, so there are. It it does have a little bit of that, you know, older, um, older video game uh, development mentality. Where and and especially in this modern day and age, where a lot of things are, if not completely spelled out to you in terms of where to go, at least better signposted. There are points in this game where it is a little obtuse and obscure as to where you need to go. So I understand that. Now, are there names for the enemy creatures? Uh, Did yes. I miss? that when did when they told you uh they never tell you in the game but there are names for them it just it just never became relevant like the uh like the little guys that leap at you those are called head crabs because if you've noticed the zombies in the game they're called head crab zombies yeah. yeah they they basically latch onto your head burrow into your brain and take control of your body um, nice. the, uh, the weirdo guys that, you know, that, that start screaming and shooting out sonic blasts. Those are called hound eyes. The ones that, you know, like that's why it's funny because in my notes, it's, it's almost like the index to one of Gary Larson's far side books where I go, <laughs> the one, the one that the, the one that's on your head, the one that shoots and screams at you. Yeah. The one that looks like a skinned pig that explodes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, the um yeah those are yeah those are those are called hound eyes the one that fling the ones that fling boogers at you uh those are called bull squids uh the guys I that never run around, would, I never would have got these yeah never, never, but, never. yeah they, they, it never actually comes up in the game so it's not surprising that you don't actually know the actual names of them and it's probably it probably wasn't meant for people to know their names right off the bat okay the 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 boss that's like vines with like scythe-like claws. Those are just called tentacles, as far as I can remember. Okay, what about the one that looks like it's got like a piece of phlegm that like you get stuck on and start dragging you toward the ceiling? Oh, those are called barnacles. So simple. And yeah, uh, I hate them, by the way. Yeah, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the 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 green guys that run around and fire lightning at you. Uh, those are called vortigaunts. They are very annoying, but if you play Half Life Two, you'll find out that they're actually pretty cool. Because they're they they actually become a um, an allied faction in Half Life Two. Because if you've ever noticed, when you get to um when you get to the Zen chapter, and we'll talk about it in a second, if you noticed, the Vortigaunts actually don't attack you on sight. They actually just sort of walk around doing like work like things, and it's heavily implied that they're actually being enslaved by that big baby looking thing at the very end, the Nihilanth. Now these are all. Official names, or was this? The, those are the was... those are the official names. Okay, so this isn't something like fans kind of. No, no, those are okay. all yeah. Um, yo, okay. Now, in talking about gameplay, I want to ask your opinion. What did you think of the Zen levels regarding, like, it, compared to the Black Mesa levels? Did you like the Zen levels better or worse or about the same? Well, <clears throat> you see, that's tough. I liked. I think I liked the lab more, to tell you the truth. I think that the the Zen levels kind of were muddy and uninteresting. That's you know that that is a very valid criticism because that is a criticism that almost every Half Life fan will also levy on those levels. They were a bit annoying. They were in a bit indistinct, and it felt like. They felt rushed, I would say. 
that the lab was, got more yeah, attention without yes, a doubt. Absolutely. Black the, the Black Mesa chapters were far better than the Zen chapters. You are not alone in that assessment, I assure you. I also there are times when because of how muddy the textures are and everything's kind of green. I don't know if anyone has played this obscure 3DO title called P.O.D., but th- there were portions of Zen that reminded me of P.O.D., except there were no walking butts shooting poop at you. I wonder when P.O.D. came out. That was 1995. So <laughs> The 1995 classic. I'm sorry, I can't even. <laughs> <laughs> so, y- you know... I mean, I guess it's possible that there may have been someone at Valve might have played P.O.'d at some point and gotten some inspiration, but I kind of doubt it. That's a game that is awful, and I will probably force you to play at some point. Oh, good. A little bit of P.O.'d. Can you emulate 3DO games? Yeah, uh, dude, at this point, you can emulate pretty much everything. Cool. As long as you have the processing power, you can do it. Look at me, I have a 3DO with PO'd. Oh! Lucky you! (laughs) So, yeah, we'll definitely do that. So, with all this said, Half-Life, it really isn't just a game. It's an institution. It is a tentpole. Without it, the... It pitched a tent. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Without Half-Life and, adjacently, without Valve and their philosophy, the world of first-person shooters would look completely different today. Like, so many things trace their lineage back to what Half-Life did. And even just going by, even just going by the things that Valve, um, you know, Valve uh, created from there, like, uh, there was a, there was a very popular mod for the original Quake called Team Fortress, where instead of just one type of character in a deathmatch scenario, you had objectives and you could choose from a bunch of different classes. There was a port for it created for the Gold Source engine, the original Half-Life engine, called Team Fortress Classic. And from there, Valve actually secured and purchased the rights to that mod. And from and from that became the incredibly popular Team Fortress 2. So without this original Half-Life and all that and all the mod, the mod culture surrounding it, there'd be no Team Fortress 2. There'd be no Counter-Strike because Counter-Strike was a uh, was a Half-Life mod. There was the there was the mod Opposing Force created by the relatively new company Gearbox known for Borderlands at this point. So the Borderlands creators cut their teeth on a Half-Life mod. Uh, in Opposing Force, you play as a, uh, you play, actually play as one of the soldiers, uh, a guy named Adrian Shepard, who also, you know, who eventually like goes against the rest of the soldiers and we never really see him again in the whole Half-Life chronology. Uh, there was one called Blue Shift, where you play as one of the security guards. Um, if I recall, there was one called Half-Life Decay, uh, which I think that I think that might have only been for the original PlayStation, if I recall. Yeah, let me take a look at this. Quick. Never played it. Uh, OK, yes. Half-Life Decay was released as um, was released as part of the PlayStation 2 port for Half-Life in 2001. And it was actually a co-op split screen version of the game. It, it was such it was such an influential institution in PC FPS that it it not only launched other game series, it launched careers. On the subject of Counter-Strike, first off, shout out to my good friend and best man at my wedding, Sean Spencer. We would play Counter-Strike in college all day, every day. Uh, You're talking about the Xbox version, right? I am, for the original Xbox. We we had a ball. We, we, We had a hammock that we had in our dorm room, and we would hang out and play Counter-Strike. I would get around, then I'd pass the controller. The game was awesome, and the team-based dynamics there. One team is the terrorists, who are trying to guard a bomb. One team is your SWAT team, and they're going and trying to defuse the bomb, and all sorts of chaos and hilarity ensues. The game was awesome, and we wouldn't have had that experience if it wasn't for Half-Life. Though... I've always questioned why we got Counter-Strike for Xbox, but not Half-Life. Uh, you, you know, funny thing. You didn't, you didn't get the original Half-Life, 
But one of the most famous ports for Half-Life 2 was the original Xbox port. And I remember there was a whole there was a whole issue of GamePro magazine dedicated to all the ways in which they optimized and modified the game to actually fit onto an Xbox disc, which I also thought which I thought was incredibly fascinating. And not only that, but looking up uh, looking up like Half-Life wikis and all that, the amount of other mods and other creations that people have made for even the original Half-Life is mind boggling. Like you've got Half-Life Zombie Edition, Brutal Half-Life, a play on Brutal Doom, a a very ultra violent and sort of modernized take on the original Doom and Doom 2. Counter-Strike was a mod. Uh, there was one called Crack Life, which is basically like um, exposing exposing Half Life to the cancer that is Four Chan's B. <laughs> and uh, one of the okay, one of the funniest and most fascinating mods I've ever seen. This is for Half Life Two, though the Half Life Two Crystal mod. Now, can you guess what that means when I say Crystal mod? No, honestly, it literally. There is a character in Half-Life 2 called Alex Vance, who's kind of, you know, a sidekick. Definitely not an escort mission person because Alex Vance kicks ass and she's amazing. And probably one of the best characters in video games of all time. The Crystal mod replaces Alex Vance with Crystal from Star Fox Adventures. But why? I don't know. And not only that, but the creator of this mod, a guy by the handle Gagdatar literally contacted the original voice actor for crystal in that game. And she agreed to record all the voice lines for it. So if, if you are that much of a furry degenerate, I I, I am not nearly that much of one, but if you are, you could play through the entirety of half-life two with a cartoon Fox woman by your side. I want the Hulk Hogan mod. I I don't think there's a big enough market for that one. It would basically just be me, brother. Yeah, <laughs> basically. So that is our gameplay. I think it's time, Daniel. Final verdict. Final verdict. Skunky or fresh? I'm the newbie, so I guess I should go first. I mean, do you even need to ask my opinion on this one? No, but... It's better if we leave it in there for the podcast. Fair enough. We could honestly sit here and gush about this game for another hour or two. It set the foundation for so many things that came after it. It is still a game that graphically holds up, that holds up in terms of control, in terms of exploration. You would be hard-pressed to find a better game to recommend to basically anyone who likes gaming. Obviously, I am going to be giving this a rating of fresh. Not a single thing about this is skunky. Only nitpick I have is with modern computers, I was hoping that those skips as you're playing would be minimized, but they're not. But that's also part of gaming in the 90s, that you're going to have loading. And that's that. The game's fresh. Daniel, go ahead. Yes, I absolutely. This game, without a doubt, is still fresh it was so much fun to go back to the original and just play through it again and relive it once again it never gets old for me this is one of this is one of my comfort food games if i'm really feeling if i'm if i'm feeling down if i need something that i'm just familiar with and something that still that i will still enjoy the millionth time over much like resident evil 4 i'll play through this again it is still fresh, absolutely. There you have it, folks. Please check out Half-Life if you are so inclined. And I think it's time to pick our next title. Ooh, here we go! That drum roll, please. Ladies and gentlemen, the next game of the week will be the N64 classic, GoldenEye. Oh my oh, god, lots of oh, FPS here. Yeah! Yeah, buddy! Here we go! Please don't forget to check out our YouTube channel. We're going to have a new Splatterhouse review. We're going to be making new episodes of Pint Glass Travels in France. 
and hopefully I'll be shooting an episode if the weather holds up and I get to go to Texas this weekend. And stay tuned for quite possibly some other pine glass travels as I, at the end of this month, take a trip down to Amelia Island, Florida. Thanks for joining us. Please don't forget to like and subscribe on YouTube, and we will see you next week. They're waiting for you, listeners, in the test chamber.